Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 94, dedicated to the team who beat Duke to win the 1994 NCAA Division I Championship. The Arkansas Razorbacks. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little bit about episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance on Tuesday. The NFL owners will vote on an odd way to move up in the draft. But first, all these professional sports um, are going to be welcome in Florida. Really? That may not be the case in every other state in this country. Nah, as we've doesn't seen. sound like it. And so what I would tell commissioners of leagues is, if you have a team in an area where they just won't let them operate, listening, we'll find a place for you here in the state of Florida yes. because we think it's important and we know that, that it can yes. be done safely. Governor DeSantis, the people in America are thanking you. Governor DeSantis, the people that are athletes are thanking you. Governor DeSantis, the commissioners, some of these coaches, some people on the medical staff, some of these freelance journalists, freelance photographers, freelance videographers. And yes, they're out there. Back when I was selling cars, I actually sold cars to a freelance videographer. And yes, they are out there. They're all over the place. And they're the people that you least expect it. Why? Because they're behind the scenes all the time. Yes, Governor DeSantis, there are jobs tied to sports outside of those that are athletes, outside of the coaches, outside of the doctors, outside of those on the medical staff. And there are jobs tied to sports with people that are not getting a dime right now, not a penny. Yes, they can fall for unemployment. But honestly, being on unemployment does not bring a joy that doing the thing that they love does. Man, Governor DeSantis, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have seen story after story after story after story after story. Are these athletes acting a fool? Earl Thomas, I didn't talk about it. Cody Lattimore recently. There have been all a lot of players that have just been getting arrested, that have been acting a fool over the past two weeks, guys. It wasn't like it was at the beginning. Well, like it was at the in, uh, in April, middle of April. No, guys, it's been basically two months. These athletes can't go around their facility. They can't go to their coaches. They can't hit the weight room. And what do they do? They act a fool. We say all the time, college athletes, they need structure. They need uh, uh, guidance. They need somebody watching them all the time. We say all the time, high school athletes, they need structure. They need somebody watching them. They need somebody counseling them on the right decisions to make. Well, ultimately, guys... Professional athletes need the same thing. And you know what? Even though they make millions, you know, they're very athletic. They're human. They have the same issues. They have the same problems mentally that a lot of us do. Money doesn't solve your problems. Money doesn't uh, take away your worries. And ultimately, guys, taking away sports from them. It's very, very bad for them mentally. And I am not a fan of seeing all these players uh, getting arrested. I am not a fan of hearing all these bad stories, these Earl Thomas-esque stories. I am not a fan of that. And Governor DeSantis knows this. He knows that, hey, if my state's open, if we we know we can do this safely in a, in a manner that the doctors that are advising me say, yes, this is approved. We have the, docu- we have the documentation that they will do this. 
We have the the means to get this done. So, hey, guys, we can make this happen. We can open our borders to allow other people come in, other professional ranks that know what it means to be at the tip top of your shape and have the best medical doctors the world can come by to come to our state to play sports, to play basketball, to play football, maybe even play baseball. Nobody even knows hockey. Hey, yes, they'll find an ice rink for you down there, baby, because we want y'all to play too. Doesn't matter the sport. We're not going to discriminate. Hey, Governor DeSantis knows something about sports bringing lines together, sports being a vital part of our economy, a vital part of our mental health for a lot of people. And guys, Governor DeSantis is opening his borders. And I venture to say there are more people out there, more governors out there, more elected officials out there that may go this same route, that may do the same thing if they believe that their state can be open and their state has the means to allow other people to come in. Hey, this is a very good sign. COVID-19, scary, very scary. It's time, well, it's been past time, I'm not going to go to that rabbit trail, but it's, it's great that a lot of places are going to open up. And Governor DeSantis, thank you, sir, for opening up your borders. Thank you, sir, for taking this opportunity to assist those franchises that may be in states that are saying, no, you can't go to your facility, or even better yet, that are saying no when their league decides to say, hey, we can resume play again. Can you be there? I can't be there. Oh, wait, there's Florida. Florida's open their borders. Let's go there. Let's go ahead and take a trip to Indianapolis, Indiana, specifically Market Square Arena. Because this documentary would not be complete without talking about the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals. This, ladies and gentlemen, episode number nine was the episode I had been waiting on the entire docuseries. No, 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 no. Not like I had some inside information about knowing episode number nine was going to talk about the flu game, excuse me, the, the poison pizza game, or that episode number nine was going to talk about the Pacers and Bulls Easter Conference Finals. No, no, I had no insight information. I did not know that. But these two things here, I had been waiting on the entire docuseries. Also, before I get too deep and too away, while this thought's in my mind, one thing I missed... I heard Stuart Scott's voice, but I didn't see that man's face. And earlier in the day on Sunday on, on the Twitter, there was a video going around of Stuart Scott doing highlights of the Poison Pizza game. I'm going to call it the Poison Pizza game. You could call it the flu game. I want to be factual. I want to give the accurate information. So from here on out here on the Jay Stevens podcast, it will be called the Poison Pizza game. No longer the flu game. That's away. That's gone. You could classify that with the shoes, the flu games. Ah, here on the pod, it is the poisoned pizza game. And when the poisoned pizza game came on, the very next day, my man Stuart Scott had had highlights there on SportsCenter. And man, like always, Stuart Scott did his thing. And so what I'm waiting on the entire docuseries, hey, Mike. Have your boy Stu come on my television. Hey, hey, Mike, let me see that two-minute clip. I don't care if it's two minutes. We want to see Stu. We thought that Kobe got his, his face on there a little bit. He got interviewed. He was able to talk a little bit during that 98 uh, All-Star game time period when they got to talk about, uh, talk about Kobe and Mike's relationship and things like that. 
Oh, man. Okay, cool. Kobe got his shine. Hey, man, let's get Stu. We want to see Stu. We want to see Stu. Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott. Stu Stu's face was nowhere in this 10-episode docu-series. That was the one thing, one thing, the only thing that I would wish this thing actually changed. Oh, the only person that I wish would have been a, a physical aspect, a physical thing where his face was shown on the docu-series. Now, you know, there's there's details and all that. You know, there's things that go on behind the scenes and maybe that he wasn't there, wasn't able to be there. Maybe the family said, no, don't put Stuart Scott's face on there. Or maybe somebody said, nope, we don't want Stuart Scott's face on there for whatever reason it is. I don't know, but I surely wish, I know you probably wish as well, that Stuart Scott's face was there on your television screen during this docu-series because, man, go back on YouTube. Go on Twitter. Go search that thing. It's out there somewhere. Stuart Scott doing highlights after the Poison Pizza game. Hoo-hoo-wee! Man, brings back so many memories. But this Bulls and Pacers series, going into it as a Pacers fan, and when I was a little kid, I knew who Michael Jordan was. I knew what Michael Jordan uh, did on the court. I knew what Michael Jordan could do or what he did do to the Pacers. I remember the 98 Eastern Conference All-Star, I mean, uh, in 98 NBA All-Star game, that is, and what that meant just to me as a young fan. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant on the court at the same time. Oh, is this Michael Jordan's last game? And then later on that season, we get to this point in the season, the Pacers versus the Bulls. I believe going in bald-headed Pacers, <laughs> bald-head Pacers, New Jerseys, going from the Flow Joes to the Pinstripes, big thing here in Indy. Man, the Pacers have every shot to win it. The Pacers have a chance to win this thing. The Pacers are going to dethrone the champions. Bulls go up 2-0, and oh my gosh, guys, I mean, as a fan, I'm thinking, well, what's going on? <laughs> and what Pacers team am I watching? <laughs> what Pacers team is this? This ain't the Pacers team that I had watched all year long. This ain't the Pacers team that I had faith in, that I trusted in to take down Mike. I know who, I know who Mike is, but I believe in Reggie Miller. And then all of a sudden, David, Ald- David Aldridge said, quote, Game three, Reggie was a problem because Reggie had insane confidence End quote. And we saw that game three. And then we go in, into game four. And we see game four. Michael Jordan gets put gets pushed by Reggie. Oh, you know, they're not going to call that. You push Mike in that situation. Reggie got calls. Mike got calls. In that type of crucial situation of that ball game late in the game. Where it's already been a battle every single second that those players have been playing during that particular game oh yeah they're not going to call no foul for that Reggie pushes off Reggie hits that three and I still remember as a kid Reggie Miller running down to the other end of the court jumping up and down like a little kid hey man we had hope we had belief we thought we was going to take down Mike but that didn't happen that didn't happen at all and so as a little kid, we're going really my childhood, man. My parents will listen to this be like, Jay, you got that excited? You got that hype? Yes, I did. I really thought that we were going to take down the Bulls. Hey, guys, one thing I did you, that you kind of get reminded of numerous times throughout this docuseries, there is no time throughout any game that Michael Jordan is not the best player on the court. And when everybody else knows you're the best player on the court, it, sometimes you had that psychological advantage. And uh, when you get up, when you get a lead, and when you start getting a little momentum, sometimes some players that are on the opposing team, they start to lose faith. They start to lose confidence because you're Michael Jordan. 
Reggie Miller even made a comment talking about how he, when he was a rookie, he was younger than the NBA. He talked trash to Mike. He says on the mic, call Mike by his name. And then later on, he's like, don't ever call me that. Call me Black Jesus. And that was the last time Michael Jordan was, I mean, Reggie Miller referred to Mike, to Mike's face as Michael Jordan. I mean, goodness, come on now, guys. C come on. It's to, to us, we see a human. To these opponents, the guys that were Michael Jordan's opposition on the court, they see something completely different. I am, as a guy, I'm not going to go up to Mike and call him Black Jesus. You know how crazy that sounds? But that's the mad, sheer respect for the respect they had for Michael Jordan, the basketball player. Game seven, Bulls win. And if you really think about them winning that game, it all came down to a six and a half minute, to the six and a half minute mark in the fourth quarter. Whoever wins that jump ball, if the Pacers win it, they go down and they're already up three. If the Pacers win it, they go down. They hit a two-point, go up five. They hit a three, go up six. Six minutes left, about a little over six minutes left, up six in that game against that team. You believe you're going to win. Ultimately, the Bulls win that jump ball. Steve Kerr hits a three. The Pacers get momentum, and they said it seemed like a lightning bolt was struck on the inside of that arena because, man, oh, man, the United Center was loud. One thing that I've noticed throughout this, especially the last day, the last day of these last two episodes, the Utah Jazz Arena, Marcus Square Arena, the United Center, forgive me, Jazz fans, for forgetting the name of your arena. It's not at the top of my head. And unfortunately, I did not write it down before starting this episode, starting this segment. Forgive me. Not, I'm not trying to be not make fun of you or anything like that. Not at all. That is not my intent. But one thing I have noticed throughout this documentary, these fans of the 90s were loud. Very, very loud. Now, I know you watch these, these games now. You have crazy fans. You have wild fans. If you watch a game at Madison Square Garden, it doesn't seem loud now. Even when the Knicks were good, 2011, 2012, when they were actually in the playoffs, the last time they actually did made any noise in the NBA. One thing I did notice, though, that, that Madison Square Garden in the 90s, loud. United Center, loud. Super Sonics games in the, in the, in the playoffs, loud Marcus Square Arena in Indianapolis Indiana loud one person described Marcus Square Arena as a barn a literal barn if you watch the 30 for 30 between the Pacers and the Knicks that documentary that ESPN put on uh, guys go back and look at that those Pacers and Knicks series, they were nothing to mess with. 90s basketball, I understand, a little diluted. They had expansion. You had a couple teams in you had a couple teams in Canada. You had the Magic come in. You had the Heat come in. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, all the all the hogwash, all everything you want to say, I don't care. Let's look at the stadiums, the arenas, and the fans. My goodness, guys. It was loud every single day. Night, and we saw that on display on the last night of this documentary. The flu game, excuse me, I know I said it again. It's not the flu game, it's the poison pizza game. The poison pizza game. The, my entire life, there were two stories that went into this game one, he had the flu, two, he was hungover. Both of those were false. <laughs> Imagine that. Now, I did actually tweet out an article during episode number nine. 
when they were actually talking about the the poison pizza game and how the, it was actually poison pizza and there were five guys that delivered the pizza nobody that was in michael's room ate the pizza mike ate the whole pizza by himself blah 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 the rest of the story is history but i actually tweeted out an article that i found on twitter right after this was actually released right after they talked about the poison pizza game there on the docuseries and that article was written april 18th 2013 and it said exactly or almost word for word exactly what tim grover michael jordan's trainer said what michael jordan's trainer put on the docuseries describing what happened that night in the hotel room when michael jordan got sick due to the poison pizza and so my whole entire life i'm thinking mike got the flu mike went out there mike balled out 44 points i mean 44 minutes 38 points mike did what only mike could do or what mike would do wrong dead wrong but you know what this actually does that enhances the pizzazz of the story that enhances the allure of the story it's not the flu we know guys that play basketball with the flu you, you may know someone that's played basketball with the flu or that's played sports with the flu people play sick all the time the flu it's, it's horrible i've had it before it's not fun honestly i got the flu one time that i can remember in my lifetime and that actually happened when I got the, when I got the flu shot, imagine that. Get the flu shot supposed to help you prevent you from getting the flu. But one thing I didn't realize, and I when I got, I didn't know. Uh, the when I get the flu shot, it's giving me the flu. <laughs> I didn't want that in my body at the time. But hey, the rest is history. And so. The flu, I'm thinking, oh, he got the flu, but he can still hoop. No, 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 no. I have never had food po food poisoning. I know people that have had food poisoning. That is nothing. Let me remind you, that is nothing to mess with. And you saw Michael Jordan during that game, even walking to the locker room before the game. The look on his face, the look on his skin, all the fluids that were coming out of his body, being hooked up to an IV before the game. I believe it was Bill Whittington that said that Michael's face looked white, like uh, come on guys let's just look and see what's going on with this exact story and how this is so much better of a story now than it used to be flu game great mike got the ice pack on his head michael jordan's being held up by scotty pippen michael jordan's being held on the bench michael jordan's just playing out of his mind out of this world michael jordan is the man because he had the flu Nah, nah, baby. Nah, nah, baby. This thing getting a whole lot better because you're not supposed to be able to do this on food poisoning. You're not supposed to be able to. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited. You're not supposed to be able to act like this, move like this, be this alert with your brain, be this quick on the court, be able to carry and do the things that Michael Jordan did on the court when having food poisoning. But guys, Mike isn't like everybody else. Mike isn't normal. And that game right there, imagine. Imagine Mike being just himself. Would he have had a great game like he did? Probably. Would they have won the game? Probably. Would he have played 44 minutes? I don't think so. Load management was not a thing back then. Let's not act like it was. I don't think so. But 44 minutes, food poisoning. 38 points and Mike was the man making crucial shots even that three-pointer in the 97 finals I believe it was game five that game there Mike the man food poisoning the poison pizza game hey nobody likes that somebody would want to do that to another individual 
But after the fact, we looked, we get to look back and marvel at what Michael Jordan did that night in Utah to win game five that ultimately propelled them to win their fifth NBA championship. Okay, okay. Okay, I know, I know, I know I said there was only one person I really, 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 really wanted to see in this docuseries, and that man goes by the name of Stuart Scott. Well, I was wrong, because at the beginning of episode number 10, there were two people that I recognized their faces. I saw them play basketball in high school. I have seen them after high school. One of them went to UCF, University of Central Florida, to play basketball on a basketball scholarship. I was wondering when or if we were going to see Michael Jordan's family. And lo and behold, they got a hot second of TV time at the beginning of episode number 10. I heard the boy's voice. I looked up and said, hold on, hold on now. Hold on, hold on. I know them. I have seen them. I've seen them hoop. I've seen one of them play on national, no, excuse me, both of them play on national TV and uh, when they play college basketball. I, I, I know them. I know who they are. Why did it take this long to see the family? Because me, I want to know all the details. Excuse me. Let me remind you. I want to know all the details. So I was waiting for his wife, the first wife, Miss Juanita, to show up. I was waiting for his boys and, and, and his uh, oldest daughter to show up because Micah since got married and, has, and now has twin girls. I was waiting to see them show up here in the series to get the family dynamic because you know, in the 97-98 Bulls last dance season run, whatever you want to call it, that family was very, very important. Yes, we, talk, we, we hear his mama. We know about his daddy. We know what things happen with his parents, but man, Mike, we wanted to get deeper. I wanted, let me get a little selfish now. I wanted to get deeper into your family because I want to know all everything, everything. Yes, I know the locker room stuff is great. I know things that happen in the pre all throughout your career to lead you up until this point in this point of your career and this point in the season. I know all of that is great, but man, it would have been so so nice, not just to me, but all the fans out there in the what is it? millions 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 that watch every single week it would have been great so great to look out there and say wow here's what his family was thinking here's what his, his wife was thinking at the time here's what his, his daughter and his two boys are thinking at the time you know it was a young portion of their of their lives they were in space jam I mean, it's not like anything crazy. They were in Space Jam. Well, like Mike had other kids there in the house. They were in Space Jam. So, man, I wanted to see them so, so bad. Just to get a little bit deeper, a little bit more information than what we had already gathered before. But you know what? Another thing, another thing that happened in this episode that was very, very funny. You may want to say you may have found this funny as well. Dennis Rodman, not just a Mike, and well, that's, you can find humor in anything Mike does. And how he just waited till the very end to have his kids uh, show their face and things like that. But Dennis Rodman always finds ways to do what he wants to do. And Dennis Rodman said it, think that he loves, he loves his women, he loves parties, and he loves his basketball. The order that that, that, that comes in his life, it's really spur of the moment. Now, nine times out of ten, his women and it, it, the women and the parties, I almost said his women, that sounds horrible. The women and the parties, those happen, those are very, very important in his life. After a game, he typically worked out, did about three miles on the bike, and then who knows what Dennis Rodman did after the lights went out. What happened when the lights went out in Dennis Rodman's uh, life, 
He can keep that stuff. I don't want to know it. You may want to, but he can keep that in his memory bank, in the vault, in his brain, in his memory, because, man, I am sure Dennis Rodman, my friend, had some wild, wild nights. And with those wild nights comes Dennis Rodman after Game 3 in the 98 Finals against the Jazz. He leaves the team, skips practice the very next day to go hang out with his boy Hulk Hogan. And N-W-O-E, oh yeah, baby, even back in the 90s, 90s wrestling, early 2000s wrestling was everything. When I was a kid, yes, I watched wrestling. Do I watch wrestling now? No, and it's not because there's no fans there. It's just not the same. But you know, Dennis Robin made an appearance on uh, with wrestling. Carl Malone <laughs> made an appearance on wrestling. So, man, look, back at the time, if you was a basketball player, if you were showing your face in the wrestling ring, hoo-hoo-wee, that helped you up, that raised you up in the status of the fans. So, at this time, Dennis Rodman skips practice. He skips practice, goes on with his boy Hulk Hogan. Yes, there was partying going on, and Dennis had his women, or had women. I don't want to keep saying his women. That sounds really, really bad. That's not factual at all. Dennis Rodman, he loved women. Let's, let's just leave it at that. And so Dennis Robin was there. Hulk Hogan. We saw him smashing a chair on old boy's back. I'm like, man, Dennis, man, go with your team. Go with your team. What you doing? Then we saw in game four. Maybe this is all Dennis Robin's plan. Maybe this is his way of clearing his mind and just keeping his mind fresh for the upcoming game. Yeah, we know Dennis Robin leaving. Dennis Robin being away. Yeah, we know he could have gotten hurt. We know that there's freak accidents that happen in wrestling. We know it's scripted, but even though it's scripted, things can happen because sometimes things happen that are out of their control. Yeah, we get it, man. It's Dennis Robin. But in game four, remember early in the early in that Dennis Rodman episode, I think it was episode number three, when he was three or four, when he was describing the art and the science of rebounding. And in this particular series and this particular game, that is game four of the 98 finals, you can see very, very well, specifically, descriptively, how Dennis Rodman was telegraphically watching the ball off of the fingertips of the shooter and then figuring out where the ball was going to land and getting in that spot. I was recently listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, him and Ryan Rossello, who do great work, phenomenal work, were doing what's called the rewatchables. Not rewatch a bowl, rewatch a bulls, where they're rewatching some of the Chicago Bulls games of the 90s and things like that, and just rewatching series, talking about them, reliving them, seeing, oh, what I thought at that time. Was it factual? Was it accurate? Since, since I'm looking at it at a different analytical eye now than I was back then, what is actually true? Is it actually accurate about what I saw back then? And what they actually said, one thing they said, and it may have been actually about this very, very game. Dennis Rodman, when they after they went back and after Dennis Rodman talked about the art of rebounding and the science of rebounding and being very, very descriptive and distinct about his positioning when rebounding, they went back and watched some Dennis Rodman games were like, wow, this guy's actually a genius. Everything he said is factual. It's true. He's not making up. He's not making that up now. Whenever he was interviewed during this for the docu series, and I will say whenever because the docu series did not get ended until it actually started. And one thing that they actually did when pushing it up, they had to make sure that the filmmakers were going to be able to finish finish this thing in the time allotted before the time was before the docu series was supposed to air on TV. They spent two to three years, I believe, just interviewing people and. There were times that for a couple years, a player like John Stockton, not a knock on him, but they had to, and uh, Reggie Miller, another one, they had to keep going after these guys, going after these people to simply interview them. And one thing John Stockton said, 
he didn't want to be a part of a Michael Jordan puff piece. And the directors had to assure him that is not what this is going to be. Michael Jordan has given us access. We are pushing Michael Jordan on the questions. We can assure you this would not be a Michael Jordan puff piece. But when they're talking about uh, Bill Simmons and Ryan Basillo, we're talking about the art of this science. The science of rebounding is beautiful. So beautiful. Because not just what he said in the docuseries, like I said, it could have been two years ago, could have been three years ago, but what Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons were actually saying, wow, Dennis Rodman is literally a genius. Everything he's saying, we go back and watch his games, he's doing everything he said to the best of his ability and better than you think any person could do it. So yes, game three. Had a game. Between game three and game four, he left. Was it a problem? For most coaches, yeah. Was it a problem for, for Phil Jackson? Yeah. Phil Jackson even seemed annoyed, and I would be annoyed as well, when answering questions from a reporter about that very incident. Even when we saw him, I was waiting to see, how are y'all going to get up away from these 300 reporters that were there to talk about Dennis Rodman, who just missed practice? Dennis found a way. Dennis ran. The rest is history. But, man, <laughs> that game, that game 40, you go to game 5, and you go to game 6. In game 6, I have watched that clip. You have watched that clip. We have all watched that clip of Michael Jordan hitting that shot over Brian Russell at the end of the game. But what gets overlooked a lot of times is that steal of Carl Malone and how Michael Jordan had the wherewithal even 20 years later to remember that they had just ran that play a couple times prior and they knew that it was going to go to John, I mean, excuse me, it was going to go to Carl Malone at that time, at that position, and if Michael Jordan would have followed Jeff Hornacek to the other side of the court or even to the other block, he would not have gotten that steal and possibly could have been a game seven. Yes, Michael Jordan could have gone to a Game 7 in the NBA Finals. Yes, I am not speaking hyperbole. It literally could have happened. But before the shot over Brian Russell, which I will say Michael Jordan said it, Bob Costa said it, who called a phenomenal game that last call. One thing I love about that last call, he did, he was in the moment properly, but he was not trying to speak as this is Michael Jordan's last shot right now when he shot the ball. Shot, Jordan, Chicago takes the lead. Now, the idea that Chicago takes, takes the lead is correct. The other words may be butchered, but you do get the gist. He called the game. What happens nowadays a lot of times, a lot of people, a lot of commentators, they call what they feel, what they think is going to happen, not what they see actually happen. And sometimes the feel is a little bit different than what is actually there. Bob Costas called that thing properly. But imagine, let's take a little trip back to 1998 there in Salt Lake City, Utah. Imagine. Michael Jordan takes that, gets that steal, go down, goes, goes down the other way. You saw Dennis Rodman run up the court. Dennis Rodman was like, man, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not getting in the way. This is Mike's shot. This is Mike's ball. This is for Michael Jordan to win us the game. Michael Jordan, he knew exactly how to get Brian Austin. It was amazing. Oh, I forgot, guys. I forgot. Before that steal, Michael Jordan took Brian Russell off the dribble. The way that he said he was going to take him off the dribble. No, excuse me. The way that he knew how to beat Brian Russell that he that he talked about earlier in that same episode about how to get him a head fake, a shake, and you're gone. And that's exactly, exactly what happened. The layup beat him, went to, went to, went to the hole with the uh, right-hand dribble. Made it. Goes down the other way. Steals the ball from Carmelo. Goes back to the other side. And then makes that shot. One thing Doug Gottlieb said on Twitter, which I think is very, very accurate. They'll play with that steal. Timing is everything. 
If Carl Malone would have gotten the ball a little bit later and John Stockton would have just been a little bit more patient with that ball, there is a good chance, a very good chance, that Michael Jordan isn't able to steal the ball because the spacing on the court is better than it was. If you look back, especially that angle they had um, showing down um, with the cam- cameras facing Carl Malone when Carl Malone's on the block with, with, that, with Dennis Robin. Jeff Hornacek isn't that far away from from Carl Malone. He isn't at all. So if he goes a little bit way, a little bit further away, if they they're patient, there's a good shot that Mike isn't able to steal the ball. Mike steals the ball, goes over the other way. Byron Russell hangs that thing up, and Mike even said, "My shots today were short. I believe he was 15 for 35 that game. Not knocking Mike. He had what 35, 36 points, 30 plus points that game. So yes, horrible." Horrible shooting percentage, percentage. But Mike knew, even though his shots were short, he had to follow through extra good on that last shot. The rest is history. The one thing at the end of this docuseries that they left us with is a pondering thought. And you know this will be debated for years and years and years to come. Would the 99 finals have been won by the Bulls instead of the Spurs? Now, you may say, Jay, yeah, the Spurs could definitely should have won that. They were the better team, blah, 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 blah. But you know how it is. We like to speculate. We like to, we like to what-if things. And it would have been fun. It would have been a fun way. It would have been an inter- interesting way to see if Michael Jordan could have won four rings in a row and ultimately won his seventh championship a shortened season that team the bulls that are beaten up physically beaten up mentally i know a lot of them uh psychologically they could have used the extra time off now imagine if at the beginning of the 97 98 season jerry reinsdorf went over jerry cross's head and said cross no no don't mess this up don't make this no one last dance we're going to finish this thing out and finish it out right so that phil is going to stay here mike is going to stay here kerr is going to stay here Kukoc is going to stay here. Longley is going to stay here. Pippen would have had been a work in progress, but I'm sure Mike could have gotten Pippen in a closed room and said, hey, man, hey, man, hey, I know it's tough. I know you want some more money. Harper, you stand too. I know things are not the way that you that you wished they would have been, but hey, man, stay. We got another thing coming. We're going to, rent. We're going to, we're going to win this, and ultimately, we're going to win another one in the 99 season, and then imagine this hyperbole over uh, speculation here, but just another what if. What if they came back for the 98-99 season, shortened season, about 50 games in the regular season. They win the finals, and then, and then, we would have had a Michael Jordan, possibly, not saying yes, but a possi- the possibility of Michael Jordan versus Kobe Bryant in the 2000 NBA Finals. You say, Jay, you're Pacers man. Don't you think the Pacers would have gotten there? Do you really think that I, at that time, when the 98 Pacers were actually better than the 2000 Pacers? Do you really think that Michael Jordan that late in his career with the, with the determination that we saw in the 98 Finals I could actually say definitively that we saw from that team and that man? Do you really think I think that Michael Jordan at that stage of his career is going to let the Pacers beat him? I do not. It would have been so enjoyable to watch, but that's one thing we have now we get to do as sports fans speculate what ifs would they have won seven would they have won eight would they have won four in a row would they have won five in a row the world will never know man it's sad guys it is sad so sad that this docuseries is over you know what else is sad that the NFL had one job, literally one job. I can hear Bill Belichick right now tell them, do your job, do your job, do your job. Because all they had to do, the league officials, don't put your foot in your mouth. That's it. 
Don't put your foot in your mouth and you win the offseason, but ultimately the league officials in the NFL did just that. There is a proposal. There are things being proposed that will be voted on on Tuesday by the NFL owners that may change the way the minority coaches impact the football team. You want to know what I'm talking about? Well, let me read this directly from NFL.com. This was first put out by Jim Trotter last weekend at the end of last week. And the new proposed things, the new proposed rule changes regarding minority head coaching candidates or things like that that could affect a team in any sort of way. Well, there's some things that they could do to move up in the draft, and I don't like them. Right from NFL.com. If a team hires a minority head coach, that team in the draft preceding the coach's second season would move up six spots from where it slotted to pick in the third round. A team would jump 10 spots under the same scenario for hiring a person of color as its primary football executive, a position more commonly known as general manager. If a team were to fill both positions with diverse candidates in the same year, that club would jump 16 spots, six for the coach, 10 for the GM, and potentially move from the top of the third round to the middle of the second round. Another incentive, a team's fourth round pick would climb five spots in the draft preceding the coach's or GM's third year if he is still with the team. That is considered Significant because Steve Wilkes and Vance Joseph, two of the four African-American head coaches hired since 2017, were fired after one and two seasons, respectively. Guys, 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 why are you doing this to yourselves? Why in the world are you putting yourselves in this situation? Why in the world are you trying to use minority head coaches? And it's not just black men, black, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, Asian. It does not matter. Why are you doing this? Why are you saying I'm only going to bring you in? I'm only going to basically possibly keep you this long with this team so I can get more, a better draft position in the upcoming draft. Why? 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 It makes no sense. I'm trying to keep my cool. I I told myself when I get here, Jake, keep your cool. Let's go. No, this is stupid. This is dumb. Now, that is not the only thing that the owners are voting on on Tuesday. That is just the one thing that actually with the tweet that Jim Trotter put out, it was very good clickbait. Literally, very good clickbait. You see something that egregious. You see something that dumb. Oh, yeah, I'm going to click. I'm going to read this. Oh, there's actually some good things here in the article. It goes like this. Under the proposed resolution, clubs would be prohibited from the end of the regular season to March 1st from denying an assistant coach the opportunity to interview with a new team for a bona fide coordinator position on offense, defense, or special teams. Any dispute about the legitimacy of the position would be heard by the commissioner and his determination would be final binding and not subject to further review and then it goes on to talk about how if you were a minority assistant somewhere and you like to become a coordinator somewhere else your former team could get a compensatory pick and then it goes on to go on further about a person of color literally these are the words of the article any team that hires a person of color as its quarterbacks coach would receive a compensatory pick at the end of the fourth round if it retains that employee beyond one reason beyond one season Excuse me. I am reading this directly from NFL.com. So it does say minority assistant. It does say person of color. Very, very interesting choice of words. But you get the hint. Basically, if you leave, I can gain something. If you go somewhere, if I hire you, I can gain something. Why put coaches in this situation? 
why put yourself in this situation why basically say i am going to bring you in and by me bringing you in there's going to be great gain now what if the people that you're bringing in you're only bringing them in for color excuse me i don't like using that word because they're a minority and all of a sudden they're not qualified they're not even a good coach they're actually atrocious but you're bringing them in for your own gain to get more draft picks well, hello, if you have a coach who's not a good coach, who's not there, who, who can't really do his job properly, but is only there to help you get more picks, you're getting picks that ultimately will not want to stay there, and also, they won't be developed. So, no, this doesn't sound good. Yes, there are some good things there. I hate the, the ability for teams to block uh, uh, interviews from happening because, no, I want to hoard you, or I don't want you to go to that team, or that team, or that team. Yes, I get all of that. But what's going on here, guys? What's going on here? Oh, my gosh. This makes no sense. The NFL, you had the whole offseason going great. You're winning. The NF, the Major League Baseball trying to come back. NHL, we don't hear nothing because they may not finish the season. The NBA wants to come back, but Adam Silver is being very, very cautious. The NFL, all you had to do, baby, was wait till August Wait till the Hall of Fame speech, your Hall of Fame game, and then go on about your business. Nah, you had to put your foot in your mouth. And you doing that may have cost you the chance to literally win the offseason, win the summer, win the down period where there's no sports in the year 2020. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you're not on Twitter and you would love to, to connect with the podcast, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmo.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for new podcasts to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure to people know about the podcast. This has been episode 94 of the JC Podcast. I'll see you next time. <laughs>